It's good to be alive today. Isn't it good to be alive today? Praise God to be alive. It's also exciting, yeah, to celebrate uh, Dave and Sue Griffith for 40 years of ministry uh, in France. And they served a summer with us when we had our South Bend campus for about five and a half years in South Bend. We had a campus there too, a satellite campus, and Dave and Sue one summer served there with uh, Pastor Tim Boucher uh, with our ministry there. And so they go way back and they've been great friends and uh, and I encourage you uh, to make sure you can find a way after the service just to walk up to them and greet them and say, we love you, we appreciate you, thank you for serving. It's worth taking the extra time uh, to honor uh, those who have served faithfully over the years. Today, we jump in back into the text of 1 Peter, and 1 Peter's been telling us a lot about how to live this life. And today he addresses a, a subject to this church that's scattered and they're feeling the effects of new believers and some of their families unsaved, some are saved, now they're going to work, and now they got, they're trying to live differently because the friends that they used to have is trying to pull them back in to be like them, and, and now they're starting to receive some, some looks from their friends, and they're getting mocked, and, and, and they're suffering for their faith. And so he's jumping into the midst of this letter and saying, hey, let me address this here too. Let me tell you what to do with these co-workers that used to be your friends that are making fun of you. And this is how you suffer well. And I'll just say that suffering is a vital piece of the Christian journey. And the way we do it and the way we respond to it really gets the attention of the world. In one of our chapters of Fight Club, we read the book The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. I encourage you to read this story. It's a a story of, of a missionary who suffered immensely for Christ, but stood above it. And he tells this incredible story of Chinese Christians and the way they handled their suffering. Just listen to this short story. He said, I remember how my very first Chinese contacts back in southern China had explained the government's primary motivation for persecuting believers. It was not that the communists opposed or even cared about what Jesus taught his followers. The communists were not concerned with what Christians believe. Their concern was something quite different. Any commitment to something or someone other than the state was considered a serious threat to government authority and control. What they cared most about was political allegiance. And they understood clearly the threat from those who declared the lordship of Christ, a lordship that would not be shared with the state or any other power. By the end of my time in China, my understanding had grown, and my understanding would grow even more after I met and interviewed yet another group of leaders representing another major house church movement at my very last stop in China. He said, I asked whether, when, and how the oppressed could truly threaten a totalitarian oppressor. They offered this scenario in response. The security police regularly harass a believer who owns property where a house church exists. The police say, you have to stop these meetings. If you do not stop these meetings, we will take your house and we will throw you out into the street. Then the property owner will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer. So they will say, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. We can take your property, you and your family, 
and you will have to have nowhere to live. And the house church believers will declare, then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. And then we will put you into prison, the police will threaten. By now, the believer's response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives to set them free. We will be free to plant churches in prison. If you try to do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. It's a perspective. It's understanding who you are in Christ and that this is not your home. And that's what Peter's been telling us from the beginning. We are exiles here. We are on mission from our homeland to help populate heaven with people who don't know Christ so that they know Christ. And so when we recognize that, no matter what comes against us and no matter what suffering comes, because the worst thing, think about this, what's the worst thing that we think can happen to us? We die or someone dies who knows Christ. And to be completely honest with you, if you truly know Christ, it's the best thing that could happen to you because your next breath is in the presence of the creator God who gave you life. And so when you're not afraid of death and you're not afraid of a persecution, you don't care what happens to you because even if they take your life, you have just received the best gift you have ever received. You get to meet the creator God of the universe, Jesus Christ, face to face. And Peter's looking at this church and he's saying, we of all people should suffer well because we're not home. And no matter what happens, no matter what happens to my body, my family, my income, my business, no matter what report I get from the doctor, it just doesn't matter because my home is there and Jesus said he has gone to prepare a place for me and he got a great home in store for me. So this is just a place that I'm here and I'm on mission for my homeland to tell as many people about Jesus as I can. Grab your Bibles and he's going to show us how to do that. And turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up or ushers will put one in your hand. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, but we're only going to read up to verse 15 today. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this out loud together. 1 Peter 3, we're going to read verses 8 to 15. Let's read this together. Ready, read. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic. Love one another, compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are able to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You may have a seat. You see, we can live with a different attitude because of what we have in Jesus. 
And Peter is constantly reminding us of that, and he's constantly referring indirectly to the resurrection. You remember Peter? You know his story. He doubted Christ three times. He denied Christ three times, and Christ is going to the cross. People ask him, you, you talk like Jesus. You're one of his. No, no. You're, you're part of this. I was, no, no. He denied three times, and he was feeling horrible about it. Jesus restored him, but he restored him after the resurrection. So now Peter knows that Jesus overcame death, and he is on a mission to say, hey, you can have hope church out there that's scattered, Grace Community Church, because Jesus is alive. You see, you know what the difference is? Yesterday I was meeting with our our men, with dudes in doctrine at 6 a.m., and we were discussing Christianity and how it began and the difference between Christianity and Mormonism and the difference between Christianity and Mormonism and Jehovah Witness and the difference between Christianity and Mormonism and Buddhism, and we were looking at the distinctiveness of, of, of Christ and who our God is. You see, when we know who we are, You see, we live differently because here's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. And by the way, it's a game breaker. The first difference is this. We don't have to earn our way to God. Every single other religion, every Jehovah Witness that knocks on your door, every dear friend that doesn't know Christ, is trying to find and earn their way to God. Every day they wake up and they're checking off a list. God came to us and demonstrated his love through us through Christ. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. We're the only religious belief system Christianity, and we understand it's a relationship. We don't have to earn our way. It's by grace through faith through Jesus alone. The second difference about us and all other religions is this. All other religions have systems of rules to appease their God. We don't have to do this. We don't have to wake up and say, oh, I hope God loves me. Oh, oh, I'm going to do this so that that I appease his favor. I'm going to keep loving him and I'm going to keep doing. And we don't have to appease. God loves us and he has closed the gap already. His favor is upon us because we're his children. We don't have to worry. And thirdly, it's this. Every other religion, every other one, their leader is dead. And our leader is alive. And every other religion, their tomb of their leader has bones in it. Our tomb of our leader is empty. Can I get an amen on this side? That's a big deal. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Jesus is alive. And so Peter's on a mission today, writing this letter, and he's writing to us. Listen, we have hope. And no matter what comes our way, we have hope because Jesus overcame death. So he says this, as he gets to this letter, he says in verse 8, finally, all of you be like-minded. Finally is the Greek word telos. It's the English transliteration that we would say the end. It's not the end of the book. It's not the end. It's the end of a thought. And so up to this point, the process that he's been saying, this is how you respond to leaders. This is how you respond to bosses. This is how you respond to wives and husbands and masters. And and then he unpacks what our responses should be to suffering. Okay, People, 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 now suffering. Finally, this is how you should respond to suffering. And what does he say? He said that we should be like minded 
What does that mean, by the way, like-minded, as believers, as followers of Christ? Like-minded doesn't mean uniformity, but like-minded means that we should be, have unity as followers of Christ. There's a big difference between uniformity, everyone looking the same, and unity. So we should be like-minded. I, best way I can think about it is in the context of swimming. Have you ever seen synchronized swimming in the Olympics? That's uniformity. He's saying, we don't need to be in uniform and sync with... Like, can you imagine what that would do with our personalities? It would drive me nuts. It's not the same uniformity. It's unity. It's much like a triathlon. The swimming part of a triathlon. People get in the water, and they have a goal. The goal is get to the beach. And some swim differently than the others, but the goal is the same. The, 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 the mission is the same. I want to get from point A to point B. Some are effortlessly swimming, like my wife. She swims, and I watch her, and she moves, and then there's me. <laughs> same mission, trying to get to the same place, same goal, be like Christ. I'm running my lane. You're running your lane. You're lacing them up. But it might look different, but the end result is we're trying to look more like Jesus. So he says, be like-minded. Doesn't mean to agree on everything, but work towards winning together. I often say to couples in counseling, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, I often say this. Always remember this. When you have a disagreement, I want you to look at each other and say, you're not my enemy. And even though you feel like he is, and even though deep down you think she is, they're not your enemy. The enemy is Satan. You are teammates with the same mission, trying to get the same thing completed. Be like-minded. Work through this disagreement that's in front of you. Play your role, run your race, stay in your lane. So how do you do, how are we like-minded? He says by being sympathetic with each other. What does the word sympathetic mean in the original? It means to suffer with or your hurt in my heart. Think about that for a second. That's taking the pain of someone else and saying, I'm taking your pain and putting it in my heart. That's what sympathetic means. Sympathy isn't always about words. It's the revelation of your heart to others that point them to Jesus. I've recently been watching some some dear brothers and sisters do this. Like, I just saw a a social media post that Danny and Dominique Chupp, and and actually the Kramers too, had had saw a guy in our community that was on a bike, and he was carrying all his possessions, and he was camped along the side of the road, and they felt sympathetic towards them. And so you saw some police, and so Danny and Dominique, Danny and Dominique felt their hurt and took what they felt was pain and put it in their heart. And so there's this picture of Danny. He's taking this hot food and this hot drink out to this guy that's camped along the side of the road. And I was thinking, that's a picture of being sympathetic. Regardless of what his response was to them, they wanted to take his hurt and put it in their heart. 
If you would talk with the Kramers, they feel that way about the homeless in our community. They're taking the pain and hurt of others and putting it in their heart. That's what it means to be sympathetic. And Jesus is saying, if we're followers of Christ, then we as believers should live differently. Then he says, we should love one another. It's, there's different Greek words for love. This one is what we would say phileo love or Philadelphia love. It's this brotherly and sisterly love for one another. That we work it out. We, we know at the end of the day we might disagree. And we might have differences. In fact, there will be times that you really get on a rough skin. I think about this as my own siblings. I mean, growing up, I was the model brother. I mean, can you imagine that? Never agitated my sisters. Never. Just ask my wife. She'll tell the truth. She'll tell the truth. And there have been instances along the way but that I had three sisters, by the way. She said that made me a good husband, though. Took three of them for me, three of them. Some of you have had many more, and I, I know why. But there was instances along the way where they got so agitated with me because I was instigating something. Imagine that, huh? One time my sister hit me with the croquet mallet and knocked me out cold. You laugh. I'm serious. And she was, that was her proudest moment. She'll say, that's one of my proudest moments ever. I knocked you out, Jimmy. I knocked you out. And some of you would say, oh, I wish I had that chance. But at the end of the day, you know what it was? Even though we, she did that, and even though I probably deserved it, I would die for my sisters. I would die for my brother. I would fight for them. Because they're my brother and my sister. I'm not going to let some dumb thing that I did or dumb thing that she did or divide us. You see, the world is watching us, and they're watching the church. And if we keep dividing ourselves instead of uniting ourselves on what the fundamentals are, Jesus Christ, why would they ever want what we have? And so Peter is saying, listen, unite around the fundamentals, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the word of God, that Jesus was resurrected, that there is the three in one in the Trinity. Unite yourself and live in brotherly love. Then he says, be compassionate. This word compassionate has, it has, it's two Greek words, which we would define with two English words that are good and vows. It's not ones that we talk about much, but it's not from your heart have compassion, but from your intestines. It's like when you say, boy, that person really has a good belly laugh. If you ever spent time with Dr. Boyce when he laughs, it's like, (laughs) it comes from, you ever get around someone's like, whoa, it's way down in their intestines. And that's the picture. Like this compassion comes from way down. It tightens the muscles. He says, be be compassionate from from way down. It releases endorphins. It loosens up, tightens muscles. And it makes you feel good all over. And Peter is saying, we need to have deep emotions for those in need. By the way, the word would later become in Greek. This word would be defined as courage. And today it's defined this way. To have intestinal fortitude for each other. Care enough to get others involved to help. You feel compelled to respond. I I watched this happen with a a friend of mine. His name was Rob Ganger. Some of you know him from the community here. He was up in New York driving a truck. And 
a few years back, he had heart problems, and he had some stents put in his arteries, and, and he noticed when he was driving, he was sweating, 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 and he was having some pain, so he checked himself into a hospital last week up in New York, and why I was there to realize that something was wrong, so they went in and did a heart catheterization, and both of the stents that were placed in his arteries had moved and shifted, and his artery had collapsed, and he was literally dying. And so they went in, they put another stent. So he was stuck in New York, his truck's in New York. And, and some of his friends saw this and had deep intestine care. And so one of them said, you know what? I'm going to fly my airplane. They flew to New York, brought a, a medical uh, a person with them, flew to New York, picked him up with another friend, got all his stuff and flew him back to Goshen. That's what believers should do for each other. You see, that's compassion. And Peter's saying, live in such a way the world says, wow, I want to be part of that family. You see, we should be different. Then he says, he says, be humble. It's the Greek word which means to have a mindset not too far from the ground. Why the ground? Because where do we come from? Dust. And from to dust we will return. It means We were nothing but dust before, but because God lives in us, we are way more than dust. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's when you're in that marathon or that race that I was talking about and someone is swimming out in front of you, it's it's saying, you know what, I'm going to celebrate you. Even though this ticks me off, you are much better at this than I am. I'm going to get you when we're running, though. <laughs> but it's being willing to take your hat off or someone has done something that you have been in the same competition for and they've done it better and you shake your hand and you just say, great job. Today, you were better than we were. And I celebrate you. My flesh doesn't want to, but my spirit does <laughs> That's being humble. You see, we should respond differently. And Peter's looking at the church and saying, listen, church, if you want to win your coworkers, if you want to win your husband, if you want to win the world, then live differently in your suffering. And then he gives us these incredible action steps to persecution that arises from being different. Can I just say this? God never wants us to withdraw from the world. He wants us to assimilate in the world. And in doing so, We've got to remember that Jesus already prayed for us in John 17. He prayed for future believers. Now, we don't blend in and we become like them. We blend in and we show them Christ through our lives. Then he says, move in. You see, the question we have to ask is this. If you don't feel any opposition, then you have either succumbed to the world's ways or you have withdrawn from it. Like, honestly, if you're living today in this world called life, and you're not feeling any heat at all, any mockery at all, if you're not getting any rolled eyes because of your faith in the school systems or at home or in the workplace, like like if you have blended in so well that you just look like the world, then probably you're not on mission. And if you're not on mission, then you're not living out your faith. Part of the reason we don't feel opposition is because we aren't on mission. 
So he says, don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay insult with insult. If our response weren't different, then why would we, they want to visit our homeland and our God? In all seriousness, why? Like, if, if, if that's our mission, if we're exiles here, and this is, our homeland's there, we have to live in such a way that's so different in the midst of our suffering that they look at us and say, man, I want to go visit your home. I want to go visit your God. I don't see the things that I have here that are as good as what you have in Christ. If there's no difference, then why could we ever, or how could we ever win the world to Christ? Not with insult. Don't try to one-up them. He says, repay evil with a blessing. What does that mean? It means don't fight back no matter how badly you have been wrong. Blessing means to speak well of someone. Don't exasperate the situation, but deflate it. Repay evil with a blessing. I love what Augustine said a long time ago. He said this. If you are suffering from a bad man's injustice, forgive him lest there be two bad men. (laughs) So how can you bless your enemies? You love them back unconditionally, even though you don't want to. One of the ways I do that, if I've received it and you've received opposition or suffering because of walking in your faith or people say, well, you, you're different. I don't like what you're doing. In fact, if you've ever had someone come after you and say something about you, which you know it wasn't true, and you respond back, I respond back. I bet I've responded back a hundred times over the year. If they said something, I would just say, thanks. They don't know what to do with that because I don't want to fight because I know that my conscience is clear and I know that between me and God, The rumors or the gossip that you're trying to say about me isn't true. So I just say thanks because all I'm here to do is please my God and not please you. Know what else you do for an enemy if you're being opposed? Pray for their salvation. You see, some of us forget that there was a time we didn't know Christ. And some of us forget we were pretty nasty people. (laughs) And there was a time that we were far from God. And the truth is, when we came to Christ, we were a new creation. We became a new man. We were born again. And now we are different. And, and th- that person that is getting on your skin, that person that's opposing you, that person that's causing much suffering in your life, listen to me. They are just one step away from having what you have and being a new man. So if that is happening to you, pray for their salvation. And you cannot pray for someone's salvation and be angry at them at the same time. What else can you do? Find something good in them. It's one of my favorite things to do for enemies. People will come against me. And you say, how can they have something good in them? Because the last time I checked, every single human being has been created in the image of God, the Deo. And there's got to be something in them that resembles God. And there's got to be something in them that you can say, you know what? I saw this about you the other day, and I saw this last year about you, and I noticed that when this happens to you, and you know what? I appreciate that in you. And when you tell someone you appreciate, even if it's coming in your own household, if you take time when you're being opposed to point out something good, listen, it dismantles the oppression that's in front of you. You turn a blessing 
You might say, that's hard. Like, how do you want me to do that? You don't want to do it. Listen, we're Christ followers. We're supposed to respond differently. You know what else you can do? You can forgive them and move on. Well, no, Pastor Jim, you don't know what's happening in the workplace. I just keep hearing those cuss words, and I would say, praise God, you must be in a good spot. People who need Jesus. Yeah, but I got to get to a place where I don't hear that cussing. Why? Why would you want to go somewhere where people aren't sa- where people are all saved? You lose your missional arm. Listen, I've heard everything under the sun. I work construction. I worked in the, the as a carpenter. I built homes, and I, I I I've seen every sub under the sun. I've seen every delivery guy from every place, and I've heard every word that can possibly be heard. But let me say this: when I heard those words, obviously I I, I don't like those words. And honestly, the only time I would respond and discuss is when they use the name Jesus Christ in a wrong way. And I would say, he's my God too. (laughs) But if we're not out there in the midst, then how can we be on mission? Forgive them and move on. Doesn't God do that for you? Not only does he forgive and move on, he forgets and moves on. (laughs) Like, well, you don't know, Pastor Jim. I'm keeping this one back here because I could use this later on my husband. It's like the tenth time he's done it. <laughs> and I know this is a good one because he hates it when I keep bringing it up, but I love bringing it up. <laughs> Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? Amen? <laughs> you see, consider yourself blessed by God when the opposition surfaces. And so look what he says next. Look what Peter says to this group of believers. He says, this is important. Look at verse 12. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is what? Against those who do evil. He's attentive to our prayers when we respond in love to our enemies. Don't ever forget what Psalm 23, 5 says. It's a promise. It says, God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God will ultimately have the last word in that person's life, that enemy in your life. But our response is supposed to be love. And it says this. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to the prayer. Like, and if you're not responding the way you should, it says his face is against you. How can I best? So our prayers that we pray are heard by God. And he grabs them before he grabs other prayers because... We're treating people properly. Have you ever been in a room with people that you're having a meeting? And maybe it's you're sitting down and you're having a meeting and a phone rings in the room. And you're like, hey. And the person picks up their phone and they said, oh, wait a minute. I got to take this. Like, what about us? <laughs> like, have you ever been in there like, well, I need to take this because this is important. I'm not important, obviously, huh? That's the picture. It's like God's in heaven. He, he, he's meeting. He's, he's watching over earth. And then, and, then, and then there's this prayer that comes from us. He's, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I got to remove myself from this business over here. I got to go see what Jim wants. Like, yeah. I got to go see what Justin wants. Like, yeah. God takes time. He's attentive to the prayers of the righteous. Like, no matter what he's doing, no matter what business he's taking care of, no matter how he's holding the world together, if he gets a line from Verizon or Sprint from us, he's, wait, 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 wait. I got to take care of this. His ears are attentive to the calls and prayers of his people. Why? Because we're living out our faith the way he wants us to, and the world sees the difference. 
See, seek peace over anything. He says, keep your tongue from evil. Don't let any deceitful words come from your mouth. The point is that Peter is saying, we are new creatures in Christ, and the old has passed away. The new man has stepped forward. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Don't exasperate the situation by getting back against people, but respond with a blessing. When I was a kid and a young kid in, in church, my mom sang in the choirs, and, and I would often sit about over here, and the choir loft would have been up here on the right, and it was like way up, and it, had, it was a pipe organ, so it had these large pipes, just picture if you can, and, and so the organist would come out, and, and so that would leave me often down here because my father was often helping serving somewhere, and so when he was doing the offering and serving, like, I finally got this road to myself. All me, all seven-year-old Jimmy Brown. Like, I'm running the world right now. Mom's up there. My stepfather's over here. And I can remember one time I took all the church hymnals and I piled them all up and I pocked them all up and I made like a throne chair and I'm just sitting there like this. <laughs> sitting there. Can you imagine? You can see that, can't you? And I was feeling really good. Like, I'm in my throne chair. And I was sitting there like loving life and loving world and and then I looked up to the choir loft in the face of my mom. It was like. And I was like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> I knew I was getting it when I was going home. And I knew at some point in that station wagon, I, my mom's hand was grabbing my hair. Can you imagine they would spank little Jimmy Brown? Can you imagine that? But every time I see this, the face of the Lord is against. And mom would just look. You know, you, you, mothers, you know your eye, don't you? You don't even have to say anything. Like, and You know what I used to do as a kid when my mom would do that? Everyone else would go up and straighten up the rooms. Because, <laughs> you know, she was coming to check our room next. <laughs> but that's this picture when I see this. It's the face of the Lord. Like, we're, we're just doing our thing. And we're just, we're, just, we're, just, we're just repaying people for evil. And we're just... We're just, we're just Saying things we shouldn't say. And then it says, the face of the Lord is against those. You see, I want to interrupt the meetings of God in heaven. When he looks down, he said, wow, it's Jim. He loves people. He's been working hard at trying to tell the world that Jesus loves him. And I'm going to answer his call. Hey, hold on. I'll be back to the meeting. You see, that's what happens when we respond with a blessing when we're persecuted. We must constantly be reminding ourselves of the why. You say, why? Why should we do this? Why? Don't you? Okay, Pastor, why? Because we're on mission. This isn't permanent residence. We're not citizens here. We're citizens in heaven. Then he says this. Look what he says in verse 13. He says in verse 13, he says... He said, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Like, who's going to harm you? Like, seriously, even if they take your life, your next breath is in the presence of God. And if God is for you, who could ever stand against you? So we can refrain from fear and worry because God is with us. See, you and I are so privileged to know Jesus Christ. Just remember who you are and whose you are. 
when you're being oppressed. And that, remember, this isn't the end of the story. This is just one chapter of a life that ends up in eternity with God forever. And so, 1 Peter 3.15, this is like, if sometimes you read a book, you read a book. And, and, and then you try to say, what is the central verse of a book in the Bible? This is it, 1 Peter. Here it is. In fact, I encourage you to, to underline it, to highlight it, say, central theme of 1 Peter. This is it, verse 15. This is why he's talking. This is why he sent this letter. This is why we should do all these things. In verse 15, it says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ or fear or respect Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give and what? Answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, when we fear God or respect God, we fear no one or nothing. And the reason we're responding all these ways is so that people will ask, what is it about you that allows you to respond that way? The reason, the purpose of this letter is so that we can win the world to Christ by our actions. I love this word here. Be prepared to give an answer. Some, some texts say, be prepared to defend yourself. It's the Greek word apologia, which is where we get the English word apologist. Be prepared to be an apologist. Apologist for what? Apologist is defending why you do what you do. He said, prepared to be an apologist for the reason why you're living the way you do. Defend your pattern of life that says, I won't give insult with insult. I won't repay evil with evil. I'll respond with a blessing to your shenanigans. The world will be more apt to ask you why you live the way you do if it's different than the way they do. You see, our distinctiveness is our hope against hope. So many stories. And I said last week about Sarah, like Sarah and Abraham. Like at some point when Sarah was coming through Greencroft and said, he's born, he's born. They said, you're crazy, lady, you're nuts. No, no, no. She had hope against hope. And every time I think about that story, I bring it. Imagine at the Goshen Hospital, you're going to the floor where all the babies are born. And there's a nursery. And you know how parents stand outside. And you can look in the glass and say, there he is. And, and then the mother goes in. And, and then you're able to go in. And, and often, can you imagine Sarah walking into the nursery later? And, and someone in the nurse says, oh, where's your grandbaby? Which one's your? Well, that's not my grandbaby. That's my baby. What? <laughs> she had hope against hope. I would say this, this is what Peter's saying to you and I today. We should amaze people by the way we suffer to the point they ask you for the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. It's how we reveal the beauty of Christ. You see, if God only blessed us with health and wealth all the time, the world would not be amazed. Like, imagine having all the money you want, having all the health you want, having every possession you want. Like, we could say, woo! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Look! Woo! I get to go there! I, don't, I get to retire at 29! Woo! Praise God! Boy, that'd be awesome. Well, praise God! I mean, if that's all the world saw, you know what brings their attention is when we're suffering, when we get a doctor's report, and when we get laid off, and when it's hard, and we say, praise God! The world will say, what up? 
say, but when you rejoice in your disease, your doctor's report, or even when you've been laid off, that's when you show a hope that goes beyond the hope that they have, a joy that pain cannot take away, a peace that passes all understanding. When was the last time someone was so amazed at how joyful you were in your suffering that they ask you about it? That will be your most powerful witness for Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter is saying. And I know many of you are suffering unjust things. And I'm not telling you to say nothing. Sometimes you need to respond in a hard, loving way. I'm saying suffer well. And in your suffering, show that you have a hope that suffering can't touch and a love that goes beyond anything else the world could ever give to you. And his name is Jesus Christ. So then Peter goes on and he closes out this incredible passage by saying this, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may be ashamed of the slander. For it's better if God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. Verse 18 is the clearest definition of the gospel I've ever seen. Verse 19, and after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He says, live with a clear conscience. It doesn't matter what people say about you. If you know what they're saying isn't true, hear me out. Then you and I should not be bothered by that because God knows what's true. And when I see people who are constantly alarmed about what people say about them, I can't believe I keep saying that, the yellow flag goes up in my mind like, uh-oh, there might be some truth to that. Because that keeps bothering them way too much. You see, he said, have a clear conscience because you know all you have to answer to is God. And then he gets this, 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 this Noah and Jesus, the symbolization, like Noah's mocked. Noah suffered for 120 years. He's building this big ark, this big boat. People would come and laugh at him. But, but the lumber companies loved him and they kept him in business for 120 years. And so they would mock and laugh, and they had tours, and these buses would come by. Here's the lunatic. Look at the boat. Hey, pay $5. Get on the bus. And so he lived all this time. And same for Jesus. He said he was God. They made fun of him. They mocked him. They persecuted him. But the truth is, they were saved because they believed in the promise that God would save them. And that's the picture there. And then they give this incredible picture of Jesus speaking to the afterlife during his death. You see, when Jesus died, something stupendous happened in the spiritual realm. Here's what happened. 
evil was disarmed, captives were set free, sin was defeated, his mission was validated, Satan was defeated, mockery was squashed, sin no longer had death grip on mankind, Jesus was seated at the right hand of God, we now have access to heaven, every form of evil is now under submission to God, and fear has lost its grip on mankind when Jesus was resurrected, amen? And that's what Peter is saying. Let me just close with this thought. Jesus reigns at God's right hand, and the enemy that roars, has his, his voice has been reduced to a cat on a chain taking a walk with our God. <laughs> Woo! Huh? We have nothing to fear. And that should cause us to raise a Hallelujah. And that should cause everyone here to raise a hallelujah, raise a hallelujah. And that should cause us to sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder. God, thank you, God, for the promise we have in you. Thank you, God, that you are with us. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have that the world doesn't have. And God, may they look at our lives and may they notice that even in our suffering, we have faith and hope. Because we know that you are with us. And may we live our lives in such a way that the world says, I want what you have. God, may we raise a hallelujah to you because of all that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.